when your team has only won once <laughs> in nine matches, it is just not appropriate to rub these things in, you know. God, dear. Oh, that's right, yeah, the irritation of the pearls, yes. And remind me not to allow my auntie to do church news anymore. Good stuff. Um, we're going to continue our Connect, um, Living Connected series. Once I've warmed my iPad up, it's about as slow as I am, I think, so uh, it's sort of uh, catching up. Brilliant. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to John chapter 13? Billy, um, who is here, is um, Arthur's son, uh, told me a story when I met him this week about Arthur's first time in our building many, many years ago um, uh, was, was quite interesting. He, he, he didn't really want to come to church. He wasn't really interested in Christianity. I think his um, wife, Frida, was a little warmer to it. But his first time in our building was at the end of a Sunday morning where he came and had coffee with us. And that was the first time he came and joined us. And it reminded me of just how important it is for every single one of us and what we do within church life. And I don't know who the first person was that gave him a cup of coffee, smiled at him, and just asked, asked how he was doing, but it created a door, an opportunity, where he thought he could come back again and be with us. And I know then he came on an Alpha to explore more about the Christian faith, and one of the things I'm going to miss most about Arthur is his joy at our 7am prayer meeting. And whenever you asked how he was doing, he was always absolutely brilliant and full of the Holy Spirit absolutely lifted your spirits but I suppose I just want to encourage you whatever part it is you play here at King's from doing coffee to stewarding to being on a car park team you never know how that meeting that encounter that opportunity you have in the everyday stuff can make such a profound difference to someone's life and I just want to encourage you in it whatever it is you're doing do it as well as you can for the glory of God and to serve those people that are in front of you. What Clive shared about that heart of wax and how God wants to give us a heart of wax that he can melt, um, I think ties in particularly with uh, the preach this morning. Um, and so as we work our way through, hopefully um, I'll look to be able to apply that. So we're in our Live Connected preach series. Um, this morning we're looking at Together for real, and it says in Proverbs 18, verse 24, one who has unreliable friends comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I mean, what, what does friendship really look like? What are the essential ingredients of that friend that sticks closer than a brother? You know, is it, is it a good natural chemistry? 
You know, we just clicked from the first time we spoke, we really clicked together. Is, is, is that it? Is it a common interest? Well, we, we just go off and play golf or, um, you know, we all support Gillingham together. I wouldn't have many friends, would I, if that was the case? God. Maybe it's a shared experience. Maybe you can look back at something in your past to a point in time and someone else has also got that experience and that drew you together. I I, I don't want to rule any of those out because I think they can all be helpful. But I don't think that that is the core, the most essential ingredient when it comes to friendship as we know it within the kingdom, as we know it within church. And we're going to look at John chapter 13 as an excellent provocation, um, particularly in connection with what we can learn about Jesus and how he acted, but then also what we can be provoked with as well in our relationships with one another. It says in John 13 verse 1, and I'll just read this verse out to you. Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And as we look at this particular passage, I want you to remember that this is about love, not about serving, which might be, as you read, as I read the passage, that might be the first thing that comes into your head. You see, I think that at the basis of true Christian friendship is love. It's a love for one another. Now, if you, if you sort of know the Bible quite well, you'll know that in the original, there were four or five different words for love that were used. There was eros, which was a sexual love. There was another word for love, um, which I can't remember what it is, but that was in connection with friendship, a deep friendship. There was another word for love, which spoke about love from a parent to a child. But there's a love that is used here, that's used about Jesus' love, and that is agape love, which is much stronger than any of those other loves. And particularly... um, I don't know, even as, as, as you hear that I'm going to be talking about love this morning, you may switch off. You may think, well, that's a bit wussy. You may think it's feminine. You may think that there is no place for that in your life. But as I describe this love, as we look at examples of this love, I want to provoke you out of whatever preconceived ideas you may have because actually this love is strong. This love is enduring. This love takes an incredible attitude, a real serving heart. This love um, really has something about it. Agape love is different to these other loves. It is actually um, an, an essential attribute of who God is himself. It's in the core of his being. This agape love we see within the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One plus one plus one equals? You've got a good memory as well as being really good at maths. That's right, within the Godhead, there's this love right at the core. We find that within God himself, it is a love that he demonstrates and shows to all human beings, 
but those that he has chosen in particular. And it's also a love that we read when we're reading the New Testament is a love that we should demonstrate, we should demonstrate towards one another as well. Let me just read out some of these phrases. I, I, I won't be able to do it if I just try and go off the top of my head. In respect of God, it reflects a deep, constant love and interest of a perfect being towards entirely unworthy objects. That's agape love. A perfect being, constant interest to entirely unworthy objects. This is a type of love that is not an impulse from feelings. It does not always run with natural inclinations, nor does it spend itself only on those for whom there is some affinity. It's it's bigger than that. It goes beyond those things. This is a love that can only be known from the action that it prompts. So if you want to see agape love, you see it in the action that it prompts. We see it in God in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die as the one and only eternal sacrifice for sin. We see it in the son as he stretches out his hands and the nails are driven in. And he doesn't do it for any self-interest. He doesn't do it because the objects of his love are particularly worthy, because we are not. He does it just because he is love. We see a love that is strong. We see a love that is deliberate. We see a love that is gentle. We see a love that is kind. It is generous. It is patient. It is enduring. It is sacrificial. So as we read John chapter 13, and as we look at this incredible act that Jesus does, I want you to remember, this is Jesus loving his disciples to the very end. Having loved them, he loved them to the very end. And Jesus has put it there, John has put it in his gospel. It is in this gospel, not only for us to wonder at the great love of God, but like a knife that pierces our hearts to provoke us and ask the question that only the Holy Spirit can ask. How's your love doing? How are you loving the person next to you? How are you loving those around you? So you up for that? I'll take take the silence as that you are, that you're contemplating. Lord, I just want to ask right now that you'd help me to communicate well. I pray you'd prepare our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and take uh, this prep and make it live, I ask. Bring glory to your name. Lord, as we look at completely countercultural things, Lord, I pray we would go away transformed by your love, provoked by the wonder of your grace. Come and have your way among us, I ask, Lord God. Amen. So we're going to look at this passage under four sections. We're going to break the passage down. I'll read a section. I'll explain what it says. Then we'll move on to the next section. So John chapter 13, we're going to do the first few verses. 
And the first thing, really, under the first heading is this, challenging circumstances. What we find from these verses is that Jesus found himself in challenging circumstances. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This was the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Within 24 hours, Jesus will have been crucified on the cross. The setting is a shared meal. There are 13 of them in the room together. It was actually the Passover feast. It was where all the Israelites remembered the wonderful deliverance of God from Egypt. If you remember, it's where all the Israelites were in Egypt and they sacrificed, they, they, they slaughtered a lamb and they took the blood of the lamb and they smeared it around the doorposts. And every household, every family that had the blood smeared around the doorposts was safe that night. It didn't matter how good they were. It didn't matter whether they were clever, whether they were poor, whether they were rich. It didn't matter um, how educated they were. It didn't even matter how holy they were personally. What mattered was, were they covered by the blood of the Lamb? That's what was important. And they had gathered together to celebrate the Passover on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion. Jerusalem would have been absolutely buzzing because people would have come from all the surrounding towns and villages to come and celebrate the Passover. Over the next 24 hours, thousands would have seen and heard what had happened to Jesus on the cross. And there's a number of things I noticed from these verses I just want to highlight. Because they were not conducive to what Jesus was about to do when he washed his disciples' feet. Any one of them could have been a reason in their own right for Jesus not to wash his disciples' feet. I certainly would have wondered whether I would have wanted to wash their feet if any of these had been true for me. The first thing is, Jesus knew that he was going to die. It's clear in the passage. Can you imagine, on the eve of your death... I mean, was it ignorance is bliss? Well, Jesus wasn't ignorant about what, what was about to happen to him. He must have been in real torment and pain as he considered within, like I say, 24 hours, he was going to be crucified. So he had that hanging over him. I wondered as he knelt down, sorry Judas, <laughs> to watch, wash Judas's feet, and he looked up at him. <laughs> and he looked up into Judas's eyes and he knew that Judas was going to betray him within a few hours. Yet he washed his feet anyway. And then it says, and Jesus knew, third thing, Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. 
I mean, it's incredible, just those three things. I mean, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He has no rival. He has no equal. There is no one that compares or comes close to Jesus. And yet he, well, that's the background. And I, I, I was meeting with a, a good friend of mine this week and we were having a conversation and he just said to me, he said, you know, too often in the Christian life, circumstances define us. We allow circumstance to be the thing that brings definition to how we react in this moment. Jesus didn't do that. Any of those things could have been a reason for Jesus not to do them, but he did it because he knew that's what he would have the, the Father would have him do. And I just want to encourage you, church, don't just to go with the flow of your circumstances. Pause, think, pray, look to see what the Bible says. And respond out of your identity in Christ, not out of negative circumstance that you find yourself in. Let's move it on. Next thing I notice is that Jesus loves. Verses 4 through to 11. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel he had wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, well, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you is clean. Proper etiquette in the Near East was that when guests came in, and many of, we know, many of us know this, don't we? Proper etiquette would be, in the Near East, when you come in, your feet get washed. They're dusty and they're dirty and there's camels doing things all over the place and donkeys and who knows what you've got caught under your toenails and between your toes. So when you come in, they're meant to be washed. And it was the job of the lowliest slave in the household to wash the feet. It was such a lowly job that if a Jewish person, obviously we're within the Jewish nation here, had been sold into slavery, they weren't allowed to do it. It was too lowly a job for a Jewish slave. It would have to be a slave from another nation that washed the person's feet. But they started the meal with unwashed feet since none of the disciples were willing to fulfill that duty. None of the disciples were willing to do it. So Jesus stands up. He takes off his outer clothing I mean, I guess he takes it off for, for one reason, just to keep it clean. It's an act of humility. He ties a towel around his waist and he washes one feet after another. It's an incredible act of self-giving. But remember where we started. He did this to show his love for his disciples to the very end. This is agape love in operation, in loving, in serving, in the very, very 
practical. It was a picture of what Jesus was about to do on the cross. When he was going to carry all the muck and the filth of our lives and wash it all away by his precious blood. It was an illustration, a picture that Peter was going to understand later. And just as Jesus washed his 12, his disciples, I was going to say 12 feet, but that's probably wrong English, isn't it, somewhere? As he washed the 12 disciples' feet, so he has washed us. I think washing a bit of dirt and a bit of camel poo out is an awful lot easier than washing out the filth and the guilt and the sin that's contained within our hearts. But that is what Jesus did for you. He loved you and he showed the extent of his love by loving you to the very end, even on the cross where he said, it is finished. Jesus loves. Even as, it says in Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. But as we move through verses 12 to 17, we can sort of end this bit of the passage in wonder and glory and amazement and thanksgiving and go, wow, Jesus, I thank you that you have washed me. But I don't think Jesus wants us to stop there. I think there's another purpose as well for this story, which he goes on to tell his disciples. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Reality is, if he's not your teacher, if you're not doing what he is teaching you, he isn't your Lord. If you're not doing what it says in the Bible, as best as you know, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he isn't your Lord. And if he's not your Lord, is he your saviour? Just to provoke you. We are not saved by actions, we're saved by faith. But faith gives birth to action and right living. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you hear them. Blessed are you if you do them. It is right. It is brilliant. We could go from here and we will worship Jesus because he has washed and cleansed us from our sins. That is absolutely incredible. But actually, we're not meant to just pause there in worship. It is meant to cause us to work it out in action. He is 
both king, teacher, lord of lords. He is the sustainer of the universe and the creator. Death could not hold you. You uh, hold you. The veil tore before you. You silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. You have no rival. You are no, You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all name. So he took off his clothes. He tied a towel around his waist and he washed his disciples' feet. He was willing to do the most menial task to express his love towards his disciples. He was willing to sit at the disciples' feet and wash away all the rubbish and the mess. So likewise, love one another in the same way. It isn't about feet washing. You know, don't worry. We're not going to, you know, you're not going to come to church next week and we're going to have a new feet washing team for when you arrive. We're going to have 10 bowls down each side with little stools and you get to sit on the stool and people wash your feet and they even polish your shoes. Press your socks, so by the time you're back in the main auditorium, you've got lovely, clean feet, your shoes are clean. It's, it's, it's not that, but it is an attitude, an attitude of love expressing itself in action towards one another. So many of you have incredible serving hearts. But it isn't how society and culture around us operates. You know, culture thinks more about rights than duty. More about what works for me than how can I serve someone around me. It is completely countercultural what we're looking at. You will not learn this on TV. You will not learn this from the newspapers. You, you won't learn it out there but that you will learn it from Jesus. It's a reflection of his heart. So fourthly, and I'm going to finish very quickly in the next couple of minutes. Can I ask you a question? How's your love? How's your love? How are you doing? In verses 34 and 35 of John 13, a new commandment I give you, Jesus says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, it's really provoking. You know, it's, it's, if I'm honest, it's not the miracles. It's not the signs, wonders. It's not the amazing preaching. It isn't all, even the incredible projects. It's about how we love one another. That is the greatest witness. Now, I want all of those other things as well. But... But how are you loving? What does it look like to genuinely love in Connect Group? Midweek group, every fortnight, what does it really look like? Let me give you a few very practical, down-to-earth things you can apply. You know what loving Connect Group looks like? It means turning up. Even when you're tired. It talks about prioritising it. And saying that these people are so important, I'm going to go. Even if the last time you went, it wasn't very good. And you didn't get much from it. But actually, it's not just about what you're getting. It's about what you're, about what you're giving as well. You know, another practical thing. How can you make a difference in Connect Group? You can just bring some food. 
make a contribution. And, and you might think, well, it's not as vast and as big a display, but actually loving it in the little things makes a real difference. Rather than just letting the leader or the person's house it is provide it, why don't you always make sure you take something with you? Before you go, why don't you pray and ask God to bless Connect Group when you are there? Why don't you pray and ask maybe for a Bible reading or a prophecy or something to bring, something to contribute, so it isn't the poor Connect Group leader that prays for the 13th time in the evening, because no one else is doing it. Stepping out of your comfort zone, going a little bit further. How about just being encouraging and thankful? Just the person next to you, just encourage them. Pour encouragement and strength into them, whatever has been going on. What about investing yourself into the group, that it would be as good as it possibly can be? Do you know what? You, you, you might think I'm nutty on this, but that really is washing feet that that's what it looks like and many people might not even know you've done it but God sees and rewards those who faithfully do it what about offering hospitality praying for one another taking an interest even outside of the group just drop in a text set up a whatsapp group so you can send around prayer requests and share news and stuff about what's going on This is about family, and family works best when we do it together. So how are you loving? I'm not asking here how you're feeling. I'm saying how are you expressing your agape, self-sacrificing, generous overflowing, steadfast love. How are you expressing it for this family? What can you do? Not because you have to, but because you love them. And why do you love them? Because Jesus Christ has poured his overwhelming love into your heart. So we respond in love to him. Can I invite the band back up, please? Why don't we stand? If you've got children in the children's groups, can I ask you please to go and collect them? And we're all coming back in here for the gift day in a few moments' time. But if you're not heading out to grab children, can I... Um, let me just read John 13, 34 and 35 out to you again. When we close our eyes, I find I get less distracted with my eyes closed. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus said, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Lord, I just want to say thank you that there is no doubt of your love for us. We have been marvelling and enjoying it all morning. It warms our hearts. It thrills us. We get so excited. We are so grateful to you for it. 
I just ask right now, would you, Holy Spirit, please come and fill us. I pray, would you make us excellent at loving one another? Would you prompt us into action? Would you convict us if change is needed, I ask, Lord God. Help us to be so practical in our loving of one another. Might not be feet washing. Probably won't be feet washing. But in whatever way you would have us, whatever way you would have us serve this wonderful church, would you draw us? Would you guide us? Would you lead us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.